bicycling across Western Canada in 1975. In 1975, I lived in Boston with my first wife, Barbara. We were intrepid adventurers and took on a number of challenges that perhaps seemed a tad unwise in the light of the passage of time. I don't recall the origin of the idea, but at some point we decided it would be a great adventure to bicycle across Western Canada. I did my homework and found that the general expectation for weather on the Canadian prairies in July was for prevailing westerly winds with average high temperatures in the 70s. Obviously, it made sense to travel from west to east. We bought 10-speed Peugeot bikes, which were clunky by today's standards, but close to state-of-the-art at the time. Accordingly, the journey would begin at the Continental Divide in Banff, Alberta, and proceed eastward and downhill to some destination as yet undecided. I bought all kinds of spare parts, knowing we might be in remote places when something broke. This was a collection of extra inner tubes, tires, spokes, chains, patch kits, tools, helmets, and other gear. Rather than camp along the way, we decided to stay in motels and eat off the economy, saving a lot of gear. I took to studying highway maps and drawing lines with yellow magic marker. We bought tickets to take us on Amtrak from Pittsburgh to Chicago and then on to Sandpoint, Idaho, where we boarded a bus going northward to Banff. The first leg was a drive to Pittsburgh, where Barb's parents lived. The trip almost got to a bad start when we realized as we were crossing the Rhode Island state line that we had left the train tickets behind, so we had to turn back and start over. Barb's parents obligingly drove us to the station in Pittsburgh where we piled on the train that actually showed up on time. I remember the platforms in Chicago seeming to run forever. We made our way to the Empire Builder and boarded. <coughs> it's a long ride west, even from Chicago. Before long, it's common to find the train slipping behind schedule as it has to wait for freight trains at certain points, and freight trains are somewhat erratic in their performance. But it was great to be aboard the long silver beast gliding among the farms and rivers at midsummer. By the time we got to North Dakota, we were well behind schedule. After that, the train made up some lost time. There was a heck of a lot of North Dakota and a heck of a lot more of Montana. The ride is rough and it can be difficult to make your way from car to car. I remember one elderly lady getting thrown to the floor by one mighty lurch and watching the conductor help her fill out a claim form. I don't recall the scenery in Montana. Much of, much of it must have passed us at night. It was a brilliant sunny day when we got off in Sandpoint, Idaho, which is on the shores of Lake Pendore. The bus came for us as scheduled. We made our way north behind the Continental Divide to Banff, the most famous resort town at the base of Lake Louise. We spent a night in Banff. I remember how late the sun went down so far north. We could still read the newspaper at 10 p.m. Next morning, we set out with full regalia down the fairly steep decline of Highway 1A, a two-lane road. It was, a, it was a thrill of having mile after mile of downhill pedaling through the mountain scenery. Eventually, we emerged from the Rockies some miles west of the big city of Calgary. This was the week of the famous Calgary Stampede, so we skirted around the city. <clears throat> From that point, the downhill ride came to an end, to be followed by an endless grind of hills and dips. Any net altitude decline was hard to, to detect. We soon settled into a routine. The Trans-Canada Highway was a two-lane road in those days with a wide gravel shoulder. The days were hot, the sun was powerful, and we fought headwinds most of the time. It was hard work. 
It got tough enough that we decided to take the bus for one day's travel. This meant waiting for a long time by a remote bus stop and buying a ticket when it came in. The driver looked at our bikes and said, no, you can't put those on this bus. By this time, heat and fatigue gave courage. Barbara just threw the bikes into the baggage rack and the driver stopped objecting. It was very hot. The bus was full of Indians, mostly asleep. We got off at our next stop and looked for a motel. It was 100 degrees there the next day and we holed up in our air-conditioned motel room. Proceeding once more, we got to a small town where the only accommodation was a few rooms above the bar. Another hot day and a very hot night without sleep. The noise from the bar got steadily rowdier. Deep in the night, I heard a voice shouting, She's breaking every window in the place! In the morning, we came down, hoping for toast and coffee, and saw that, indeed, most of the windows had already been broken and were already replaced with plywood. At this remove, my recollection of the towns and the sequence of the trip is jumbled. The colorful names stick with me, Medicine Hat, Swift Current, Moose Jaw. Some of the time, the road was asphalt, and in the heat, that became sticky, so it was a struggle to pedal. The nesting prairie birds were not accustomed to bicycle traffic and would come out and buzz us as we passed. The police were also unused to bicycles. At one point, the Mounties stopped us to ask what we were up to. I explained the itinerary. Although there was nothing illegal about it, they made it plain they did not approve of what we were doing, perhaps on the ground that it was unsafe. It was unsafe. We saw a number of accidents where bad timing might have put us in the path of a truck and trailer that went out of control, sweeping back and forth across the highway before finally overturning and coming to rest in a ditch. Drivers with their summer rigs sometimes didn't really know where they were on the road and often swept past with side view mirrors perilously close to our heads. But we had no mishaps, no flat tires, no mechanical failures, whatever. At one stop along the road, we met another couple on bikes. They were the only bikers we saw the whole time. They had come from California on state-of-the-art bikes, the kind with pencil-thin tires. They had had multiple flats so far, spending tedious hours unstitching, patching, and re-sewing. I felt smug for having chosen what we had. The locals often were puzzled by our presence. One man told us he was on our side and that we should tell any scoffers that they should just shut up and admire our guts. One Canadian with an Eastern European accent jumped in derisively shouting, Yankees! Yankees from Vietnam! In one small town, a woman was very interested in our story, as if it was the biggest thing that had ever happened that year in Sidhu, Saskatchewan. She gave us an address and made us promise to write back to her when we got home. I did, but got no answer. Looking in the atlas today, I see no town by that name. Always the relentless heat. In Saskatchewan, the towns were built by the railroad, each one with a grain silo nine miles apart. Sometimes it was so clear you could see the second and third grain silo town lying ahead. You could stop at a gas station in one town, drench your shirt, and fill up your water bottle and set off. Along the way, you'd squeeze out all the water on your head, and by the time you got there, your shirt was bone drying. We stopped in one place where I promptly downed two full-size chocolate milkshakes. There were beautiful wild roses along the way and many other wild flowers, including small cactuses blooming, small lakes, marshes, lovely undulating country. We reached the vicinity of Regina, Saskatchewan. At last, the road was becoming more level. The city looked like a fortress in the far distance. It was, a, it was very good to get a reasonably comfortable motel and a decent meal. We took in the current run of the movie Jaws. It was scary enough, but there was a sense of safety in being in the middle of the continent. 
I remember at one point a character in the show opens a can of Budweiser. The audience jeered at the American beer. <clears throat> From Regina, we had one more stop and then was on to our destination of Minot, North Dakota, where we would reboard Amtrak for the trip back to Pittsburgh. On this very last day, the road was smooth, the temperature was cool, the sky a tad cloudy, and we felt like top-flight pros, devouring the miles with careless ease. After the adventures of wild western Canada, Minot was a calm, gentle place, like a classic hometown. Our return went without incident.